Jesus, we are, um, we are grateful that we are through the holidays. <laughs> Father, we have, um, we have seen the bounds of our own love tested <laughs> in patience. We have celebrated with family. We have grieved with family. We have um, been together. And Father, we're excited about um, what you intend to do um, in us and through us as we um, think about this next year. Father, we want to pray a bold prayer. Not simply that we would make it through the next year, but that we would pray a prayer of gratitude in advance for what you have not yet done. Fathers, we look forward to the next year. We pray that there would be um, stuff that we can't even fathom that would be done, that we can say thank you for without even seeing it on faith alone. Jesus, we know that 2014 for a lot of people in this room was incredibly trying. It's been really difficult. And so, Father, the idea of even, make, even thinking about a year, of the next year being a good one, seems like a really, really difficult thing to even imagine. So, Jesus, for just a moment, as we sort of do every, every week, we pause that you might speak to us about hope, about your nearness, about how you long for us to, to believe for the best in what you would have for us in the future, even if it's not what we'd expect or desire. And so, Father, we just pause for a second that you might speak to us. Lord, we say thank you. We anticipate great stuff in this next year that can only be attributed to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, like I said, welcome. If you're just sneaking in here, didn't get greeted, or you know, you're trying to find a seat, there's still some up in the front. The uncomfortable seats are always available up in the front. Uh, but um, really glad that you're here. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Isaiah 43 primarily. Uh, and then we'll kind of bounce around a little bit. If you, you got an, an outline in your bulletin, if you want to follow along with that, everything you'll need, if you don't know what I'm saying, you're like, I don't know what the Bible is. Everything you'll need will be on the screen. So whatever you want to do to follow along, go ahead and do that. Now, as you're getting situated, if you're a note taker and you're getting a pen or whatever else is you need, let me ask you, how many of you guys in the room, just by show of hands, are wearing something, it's so new that it hasn't been washed, it's a gift you got at Christmas. You're wearing a brand new thing. Most, most of the people that got new stuff in this room, a lot of you guys... Not a lot of, okay, great. So now, you, any of you guys have the experience ever where you're, it's so, like, well, let me ask you this. Some of you, I, the clothes you're wearing so new that they still literally have the creases in it where they got folded. And so I saw one of the high school guys who had one earlier last service who was like, there's a total fold right here and right down the, like, you could tell it was like perfectly on the shelf. Ah, oh, thank you. I love this shirt. And just put it right in the drawer and then took it out and put it on this morning. Uh, anybody ever had the experience where you walk out and you have like the sticker on, of the size of your, you know, like, these look great. It's like on your leg. It tells like your waist size. It's like, that's a little embarrassing, especially after all that I ate this holiday. You know, whatever else. But you have all that stuff happening. But things are so new. You know, my, my favorite thing to get that is new is, the, uh, is socks. I love getting new socks. And I hate <laughs> applause for socks. It's a big moment, you guys. Socks. Let's talk about socks for a moment. Uh, but I, I, I love getting new. I, I actually am so disappointed when, um, in, in anybody, like when, my, when, when Amanda will wash, like I'll, I'll, she'll take the new socks and wash them before I get to wear them. It is like, oh, you just robbed my joy. It's like the best thing is having like those socks which have never, they just came out of a machine. I don't even, they got extruded out of some machine. And like there's some, I don't even know what material, I mean really they're supposed to be made out of cotton, but we know they're made out of some evil material that's been sprayed with pesticide. But the way it feels when you first put your, your foot in there, it's all tight and awesome. And I love that. I'm wearing new socks and my kids got me socks for Christmas. 
right here you can tell these are dinosaurs. So I know you're jealous. <laughs> but yeah, so I love getting new socks. Now, um, uh, I, we love new stuff. We love the idea of new things. New stuff is way better than old stuff. We know that already. You know, new stuff has sort of this idea. New is awesome because new is the promise of something that is not yet realized. New is about possibility. New is about new things happening. New is about the things that we haven't yet seen becoming a reality. I was at, uh, I was at, the, I was at the gym. I got a gift like pass to go to the gym from someone's gym. And the, you know, I go there and, and the guy's like, hey, you know what? We can get you signed up. I'm like, I know you can. <laughs> He's like, we can get you signed up for a huge deal. Because I was there on like December 30th. I was preparing this message and just kind of, you know, free Wi-Fi and whatever. So I'm there working. And he goes, we can get you signed up today. It'll be a significant discount from what happens in January. He goes, because everybody wants to get in shape. They want a new body in January. But right now they're still living in kind of, hey, it's cool. It's 2014. But in January 1st, I'm going with all health. Kale every meal, no matter what. Right? <laughs> But everybody's hoping for something different. You know, 2015, let me just ask you a question. What if 2015 could be the best year yet? Woo. <laughs> One person. Ah, okay. Yay. <laughs> what if 2015 was the best year you've ever had in your life? Yeah, okay. Now we're there. Now what if it was? Because most of us, now first of all, I should say this. I know 2015 is going to be the best year of my life, and here's why. My wife will turn 40 in 2015, and I don't turn 40 until 2016. And so that is, <laughs> God, is so good. Uh, but, so you can give her gifts. She wants 40 weeks of presents or something like that. So I'm like, I don't know. Okay, cool. I don't know how we're doing that. Yes, so you can lavish gifts on her. Now, uh, now let me ask you a question, though. If we can look at 2015 and say, this is going to be the best year ever, not knowing anything about it, we're kind of doing something. There. Let me just put it another way, if I can get the screen working. There we go. What might it look like to live this year in something we could just call hopeful anticipation? That for a lot of us, as we start thinking about what's coming, we sort of have kind of a little bit of what someone I once heard say called foreboding joy. <laughs> like, it's going to be awesome, but then something terrible is going to happen and rob it all. Like, whatever it is, like, we, we sort of have this sense that something evil is going to take away everything that might be good. But what if we lived this year with hopeful anticipation? That this could be the greatest year yet. Now, what I want to do is I want to read you a passage. It's kind of a famous passage. We'll go through it, and then we'll kind of, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in detail a little bit. But what I want to do is we'll read this passage, talk about it. Let me give you some context for this passage. This is in Isaiah 43. Isaiah is written um, in two big chunks. The book of Isaiah is written in the first 40 chapters are written in such a way that God's saying to his people, look, I'm pretty ticked off. You guys said you were going to be my people, and you started going back to worshiping idols and, like, you know, hurting each other and being selfish and obnoxious, and so... I need you to know that that's not awesome with me. That's the first 40 chapters. Then, or first 39 chapters. When you get to chapter 40, Isaiah's tone switches. All of a sudden, it's about God's rescue. It's about the promise of these new things we're talking about. And so you have all of this sense about God's great future is ahead of us. We've gone through some stuff we shouldn't have done. This is what people of Israel would say. And then now God's bringing, he's coming around us. And he's saying, there's a future for you. And it's going to be great. It's going to be unbelievable. Now, they're getting this written. Here's sort of the, the, the verses here. I'll read it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. So here we go. This is Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 16. Famous passage. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and all the reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. 
The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. All right, now let's talk about this a little bit. Um, You have then this verse. Let's just go start right through it. Isaiah 43, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. Now, what's being referenced here, this is often how you see how God is introduced. He often is introduced as this God who did this thing. Now, when you see in the Bible, you have, often you'll have God go, you know, hey, I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who rescued you from slavery from Egypt. That kind of, basically, that's the way it's kind of par- roughly paraphrased. Here's what you have, a reference to the Exodus. Right here, this is how God is introducing himself for what he's about to say through this prophet Isaiah. He says, this is what the Lord says, to clarify who God is. He who made a way through the sea, talking, this is a reference to the Red Sea, a path through the mighty waters. Okay, keep on going. Who drew out the chariots and horses of Pharaoh's army from Egypt, uh, the, army and, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now this is the defining story for the Israelite people. The Hebrew people's story, the one that they always go back to is this story. Remember, 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 if you were here with us last week, Mike talked about this. That what God keeps telling his people always, always, always throughout the Bible is remember, you can't, can't go on without remembering me. You're going to try and do some stuff, but remember, you've got to get together. We're going to have festivals. We're going to have feasts. We're going to have rituals that help you remember me over and over again. Last week, we talked about like monument stones to remember, to mark what God has done. Now, over and over again, this is the story that gets marked. So just to clarify it, here's what it says in Exodus 12. This is years before celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. This is Passover. Because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Now, what you're looking at here is this. God has already done some stuff for his people that says in Exodus. God's heard, if you, by the way, if you haven't, you know, know what we're talking about. This is the movie that's in the theater right now starring Batman. I don't know if you're with me with that, but that, that, that one, it's, you know, whatever. It's, it's a pretty rough paraphrase of what's going on in the Bible. But anyway... You have then that there's this, uh, there's this, God's people are entrapped. They're in slavery in Egypt, 400 years. And they, God has visited upon the Egyptian people a number of plagues, like really bad, awful things. Crops are dying. There's gnats and flies and frogs and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Now, he gets to this, there's nine plagues that have happened. And he gets this one, he tells the people, there's going to be this other plague that's going to happen. And what's going to happen here is there's going to be the angel of death is going to fly over. And it's going to kill everybody, everybody's the firstborn son of everybody who doesn't have this blood on the doorpost. And if there's blood on the doorpost, the angel will pass over that house and go on to the other houses. So God's telling his people, I want you to remember this day. Now what's interesting is he's telling, watch the way the verb tenses are here. When you enter the land that, was, that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony, meaning this unleavened bread ceremony, Passover. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Now, what you have to understand is, that event has not yet happened. The people are being told, you're going to have this celebration because this is the day that God liberated you from Egypt. God's going to do this thing, but he hasn't yet done it. 
which means that they have been given this elaborate celebration. You're supposed to remember this. Never forget it. For years and years and years, this is the most important thing. This is the story. This is the thing you're supposed to gather around. And when your kids ask you, you're going to tell them this is what it's about. But that event has not yet happened. The 10th plague is in the next few verses of this passage. They hear this. They get this, the, all of this description of how they're supposed to celebrate this Passover festival before it happens. It's like there's this future tense about what's going to happen, yet it's written as if it's in the past tense. You're gonna, this is what's going to happen, and you're going to tell this is the day that God did this thing, but God hasn't yet done it. The people get this message, and this is what they do. Then the people bowed down and they worshiped. They're worshiping God for something that has not yet happened on the promise alone of what will, want, what will be, they worship. There's going to be this great thing that happens. You're going to remember it for generations. Everybody's going to talk about it. Your kids are going to ask you and you're going to tell them, this is why we eat this stuff. And this is why we do this stuff, why we say these things and say these prayers. It's because God did this thing. But it hasn't yet happened. They're worshiping on the promise of what could be alone. Now, uh, let's see, keep on reading here. Now listen to this. Let me ask you this. When people... When people live in hopeful anticipation of something that has not yet happened, that God has not yet done, we have one word to describe that. When people live in hopeful anticipation of God has not done yet, there's one word that describes this. A single word. Faith. It is the belief that God will do something that we cannot yet see. It's the belief that God's saying, I'm going to do this thing and you're going to have to trust me, but you don't get all of what you need to believe it. Like there's not going to be certainty there. You just have to believe it. That's called faith. People often talk about the opposite of faith is sort of, you know, lack of faith or doubt. It's not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is certainty. It's knowing. These people, believing God has the best for them, worship him without knowing without having certainty that he's going to come through they just believe he is that's faith now back to this passage you have then this uh, back to isaiah now remember isaiah has identified god who's going to speak to them as this one who rescued them from from captivity in egypt the people would have expected that this is how god gets introduced he's the god of abraham isaac and jacob who rescued people out of egypt that's how that's his title which he goes into there a little bit more poetically And then Isaiah says the most astonishing thing, the most shocking thing. He says this right here, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Now, this is a famous passage, like I told you, some of you have read this passage before in the Bible, you've heard it taught about before perhaps, and have always read this part to mean, forget all the lame stuff that happened in your past. You know, like there's just some dumb things you did or some regret, just forget those things, which that may be true, that may be helpful. But what's just been described is the most spectacular rescue in the history of God's, the whole entire Bible. There's this unbelievable story that's happened. And then Isaiah says, forget about it. Or God says, forget about that. Wait a second. God's constantly telling his people to annually remember this very thing that happened. And now you're saying, forget about it. We just talked last week about the idea of the importance of remembering, how, impor- how much God ingrained that into his people, remember stuff. And now he's saying, forget the former thing. You know, I have family 
I told you, from Texas, and they're in town. And they, they say things, there's phrases they use, and, you know, things that you just, you know, you know, these phrases like, you know, when, when something's like a really big deal, they just use phrases like, I'll tell you what. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, it was a great movie, I'll tell you what. That's it. I mean, they just use things like this. So you hear these kinds of phrases all the time, you know. There's, there's some of the best ones is like when something's a really good idea, that dog will hunt. I have a Labradoodle. They don't hunt. It's, uh, he's, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's a little wuss dog, you know, it's furry. Okay, now, but this, to put this in Texas parlance, is to say it this way. You ain't seen nothing what God has done in the past was amazing. It's huge. It's, you should remember it every year, but you ain't seen nothing yet. What God's going to do by comparison is going to blow that away. Woo. It's great. Remember it, but that's nothing. You ain't seen nothing yet. So he says, forget about it. There's something so much more what God wants to do. Then he says this. Here's this thing God wants to do. See, I'm doing a new thing. Love new stuff, right? Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now you have to understand, this is, a li- this is kind of bizarre. God's spectacular work in bringing his people out of captivity in Egypt, you know, like a thousand years before this. You have, they're like, that's the story. There are, I mean, it's like, the God's glory settling upon mountains. There's fire and smoke. There's all kinds of people. Moses goes to meet with God. He comes out of this little tent, this tabernacle, tent, like a mobile temple. He comes out, he's glowing. People are like, whoa, you went with God. Yeah, I know, I'm glowing. You see that? You know, people sometimes say because of the cameras, I look like I'm glowing on there. I really wasn't with God like that. But anyway, you get this, all this kind of like overarching laser beamed lights and tech. I mean, it's the show, it's unbelievable. And then God says, forget that. I'm gonna do something even better. A stream. A stream? That's it? That's, that's what you've got? A stream. God says, I'm going to do this new thing. It's going to be amazing. But you could miss it. Do you not perceive it? When we start thinking about 2015, and we start thinking about what God wants to do, we start thinking about the future, what we imagine is that God, what God wants to do more than anything else is do away with wastelands. We imagine a desert, maybe 2014 has been a desert for you in so many ways. Maybe it's been multiple deserts. And what you're hoping for is 2015 is gonna be an end of the desert. I just can't wait for God to build me Ladera Ranch instead of the wasteland. For some of you, that is the wasteland. No, I'm just kidding. But, But there's a sense that we go, God's going to get rid of the wasteland, only that's not the new thing he's doing. He's making a way in the wilderness, a stream in the wasteland. So we want God to take away the wasteland. We think that that's what God should do because it's hard on us. It's a difficult thing. We want that. And here's the new thing he promises. God's writing to people who are in exile. I mean, this Isaiah is it's written to a bunch of people who are in exile. People whose land has been taken from them. People who are living, they're, they're, a lot of their sons have been killed in battle. They are, they are captive to another people. And God doesn't say that's over. What he says is I'll make a way. I'll make a way. This is hard for us to swallow. And we could miss it. For so many of us, 
we have an understanding about the wasteland, this desert. It so much occupies our, our thinking that we can't see the stream. We can't see it. The desert's been too dry. Even when there's a stream, we go, that's not the rescue I was hoping for. I get it. I really do. I, I think this is part of a lot of us. I think the question we have is, is there's this big giant, we're hoping for something big giant rescue. A helicopter comes over the hills and picks us up and drops us in one of the manicured pools, Madera Ranch, whatever. We just imagine this is going to happen. But that's not what happens. There's just a stream. And the question we have to fa- we're kind of faced with is, well, when, is a, when is a stream kind of awesome? When is a stream spectacular? I mean, the, there's not very many times when we go, of all the things God's done in the past, when is the stream spectacular? The only time a stream is spectacular is when the person observing it is thirsty. I think there are thirsty people in this room. I think there are people who are going, I have, I have been waiting for the wasteland to end, and it is not ending. And God's saying, don't miss the stream. You know, I think for a lot of us, we're waiting for God to do another pyrotechnic show. We're waiting for more smoke. We're waiting for more, you know, fire. We want more of that stuff. But you have to ask yourself, if you're really thirsty, that's really not going to be enough anyways. That's so cool. There's fire. I'm thirsty. Can I get a drink? No, here's a lightning storm. Okay, great. Is there going to be rain with that storm? Because I'm thirsty. We are in, to various degrees... At the various times and seasons of our lives, we walk through the wasteland. And it isn't that the wasteland will go away. It's that God says, I'll give you a way out because you are thirsty. You can find a way and your soul, which is so thirsty, can be satisfied. It's tough. I mean, um, the desert's a pretty desolate place. This past uh, Christmas, I'm, you know, we're going, Christmas is a little weird for my family. You know, I, you know, I don't have a t- typical Christmas. You know, where Christmas Eve, it's my family's here, and then we go to a restaurant, and then I meet up with my family about, you know, I don't know, 12.30 or 1 a.m., you know, we're, then we're kind of reunited again. My kids are asleep, and they wake up 15 minutes later. It's morning. No, it's not. Shh, back to bed. But, uh, but it's kind of a different deal. And so by the time I recover from whatever's kind of gone on at Christmas, it's not till about the 27th. And so I'm recovering on the 27th, and we get a phone call. And it was at um, my, my wife's grandmother, who she's really close with died and she's in texas all of amanda's family is here with us and she's not you know they're, they're every like everything that you know they imagine would be the worst scenario is kind of like happened like oh my gosh we're not there and she's she died and there's no one with her and what, what are we doing oh my gosh this is a big nightmare and all of a sudden there's a desert we weren't planning on it not something you know obviously her grandmother was old but you just can't you know, there's, they just don't know. And how everybody reacts is different. Just, you know, like how Amanda's dad reacts, how her mom reacted, who was, you know, it's her mom's mom that died. How Amanda's sister reacted, how Amanda reacts, how I react, how my kids kind of figure out, they, they had a close relationship with their, you know, with their, with their great-grandmother. How they all react, all of a sudden it's different, and we kind of go, what, what are we supposed to do here? We need a stream. People are instantly thirsty in a wasteland. In some ways, we saw God work I think there was a little bit of a blessing that everybody, all the family, happened to be together at the same time. Every person in that family was together. And there was some grieving that went on together and some processing together. But there's more to come. 
But wastelands seem to spring up as much as even the springs, the water, the streams. I mean, stream is a weird thing. It's just a little tiny flow of water, and yet it's what we need when we're thirsty. And so what do parched people do when they're thirsty? How do they live? Here's continues on, verse 20. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, you have to, there's a, this is kind of a bizarre concept. How, how, how do wild animals honor God? I mean, they don't have worship services. They don't have a band. I mean, unless they live in Narnia. They don't have like, you know, there's no like Mr. Fox or whatever talks about stuff. It's like that. They don't have that. So how do they, how do they do, how do they honor God? Some translations have the word, I think it's the word dragons and ostriches, which I just thought, dragons? <laughs> what? But there's this kind of idea that there's these foraging desert wasteland kind of animals. And the, what's said is that they honor God simply by doing the only thing they know how to do, which is to receive his sustenance. They can't, they can't build a banner, form a parade, have a blimp. They, all they can do is just eat when they're hungry and drink when they're thirsty. And whatever's out there in the wasteland, that's what they get. That's the way that they honor God. Animals are only subject, they're subject to their appetites, whatever it is. Human beings, we know, can give in only to their appetites, but there's another side to them. Check this out. I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give to, give to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they might proclaim my praise. What separates people from animals is the ability of human beings to give credit to the one who provides. And the way they give credit is in this thing called praise or worship. Now, I'm going to tell you something. One of the translations, I didn't get to this earlier. One of the translations for streams in the wasteland is streams in the desert. Kim already talked about our church devotional called Streams in the Desert. This is where this comes from. Just as a side note, this is written by a woman who was a missionary with her husband. Her husband got terminally ill. And so she compiled a bunch of you know, thoughts and devotional material, stuff that she had received, and compiled it all in this book. And literally, it is her version of how she made it through the most trying wasteland of her life in the most poetic and beautiful way. So for some of you, I just want to do, this is, this is literally a pitch, but there's only like eight of these left out there. So, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fighting and gnawing and gnashing teeth and punching, and, but all in the spirit, oh, you go first, Trip. You know, whatever. But <laughs> I just want to let you know. Here's what this is. It's a conversation between people with God and to each other written down about what it looks like to live sustained by the stream in the middle of the wasteland. If last service was any indicator, like I said, we are a group of people who are really, really thirsty. So I'd invite you to consider maybe picking one of these up. Again, if you're the first lucky eight people, then you get it, you know. I'll even contribute this copy right here. So there's nine. Okay, there you go. Um, but people can give credit. Animals cannot give credit. They can't say, I'm so thankful for what, they, they just can't give credit. So what does a life of praise look like? Because this is what it is. That, you know, God uses this, this term in, the, in verse 21. He uses this term about, all, you know, these people I've chosen, the people I've formed for myself. Over and over again in the Bible, you see this, this word, these words that pop up. It's this word that says this. I, I, will, I will be their God and they will be my people. Over and over you see this phrase show up. And it's the same version of that. 
Now, how do people live in the new thing that God's doing? The new stream, the hopeful anticipation that there will be a way through the wilderness. The way that they live is, it's a word we resist, it's a word we don't like. It's a word we we equate with something that's not. But it's this word, obedience. Now, it's, I know we don't like the word obedience. I would say probably to clarify, it's this kind of faithful, joyful obedience. An obedience we choose, not because we're terrified. That's slavery. But an obedience we choose because we want it. Because we believe that that's what God has for us. That's the best for us, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't think we want it. The story of God's people through all of the, all of the wilderness wandering that they do, they keep saying over and over again that they want this, their old life. They keep saying they want their old life. This life of whatever it might be, whether it's idolatry or whatever else it is, or even slavery, they want the old life because it's familiar to them, and they don't embrace this new life that God is giving to them because it's unfamiliar. The downside of things that are new is that we don't know. Often we say that the, sort of the, the enemy we don't know is you know, far worse than the enemy we do, but I think sometimes just what we don't know is our own enemy. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4, he writes this. That, now he's referring to a former life. The church in Ephesus is full of a bunch of people who have, um, they're, they're all people who have no connection to God's people, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, the Jews. They don't have that story. They're all what the Bible refers to in Greek as the word ethnics, which just means all the nations, all everybody else. We get the word Gentiles that way. These are people who are unconnected to God's sort of story up until this point. And they meet Jesus, and they know Jesus, and they be, their lives begin to transform. And, he, and what, the, what Paul is saying is there's a former way of life you belong to that the Gentiles, common practice for Gentiles, but you're going to have to let that go. Here's what he says. That, however, referring to that, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. Then he goes on. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. I'll come back to this. And, verse 24, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I'm going to come back to this for a second. Now, like I said, God's people are constantly calling, they're constantly going to Moses, you know, they're saying, Moses, this desert, so hard. It's like heat, and we're tired of eating manna all day, which manna literally translated in Hebrew means, what is it? <laughs> literally, that's how it translates. We're just so tired of eating whatever it is, you know, like, they're just tired of it. And they're like, we want to go back to Egypt. And Moses has a conversation with God where he literally says, okay, kill me now. I can't take these people anymore. Just take my life from me. This is obnoxious. I've rescued these people. I'm like wandering the desert with them. It's not like I'm enjoying this too. And they keep telling me they want to go back to Egypt. Kill me now. Now there's a part of us that loves things that are old simply because they're familiar. It doesn't even matter if they're not good. We just, slavery was better because at least we got to eat there. That's literally what they say. You know, I asked you guys earlier if you're wearing something new, you got a new thing for Christmas, whatever that you're putting on. Now, the chances are, well, first of all, if you liked what you got, <laughs> you know, you, you, you put it on. You wanted to wear it. You take a look in the mirror and, you know, how's this make my butt look? It's a sweatshirt. You know, it's like it, it doesn't cover your butt. I, I don't know. But, you know, you're, you're put it, you put it on. You're wearing that stuff. You, my guess is this. First of all, like, some of you are really, I do not have this gift. Some of you have the ability when people give you things that are lame <laughs> to make them feel like they just handed you a check for a million dollars. 
like, you just have the like, <gasps> my, this is Amanda. Amanda, can, I cannot do this. I, don't, I do not have this kind of, I, don't, I do not have a poker face. It's like, if you give me something lame, I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. Cool, thank you. I don't, I don't have the ability to like put on the like, oh my gosh. Amanda is like, <gasps> the big gasp. <gasps> oh. Where did you find this? How did you smile, big smile? And then the like, I'm, I'm not, there's got to be a tear that comes down. It's like a, I just, when I got this, I saw this, and I was like, you know, and she can do that. And I, there are times, we, we go, we'll be driving somewhere, and she'll pull out a gift that she got. She's like, we're taking this back. And I was like, I'm always like, what about the tear? I mean, you cried. How, how do you do that? She's like, well, I don't want to make people feel bad. You know, I just, you know, like, they don't have to know that I took it back. I'm like, I'm, but this is like a magic trick. How do you do this? Now, barring a scenario in which you encountered a gift that you did not want, more than likely what you did at first, but you put it on, you tried on, you, over your other clothes, no matter what you're wearing, you put on a pair of jeans over your sweatpants, you know. <gasps> this is so good. They feel a little puffy, though. I don't know. It's, you know, it's like, but you're like, I, I, they're awesome. Now, you would not continue to wear those clothes the new clothes over the old clothes. You just wouldn't. I mean, that's like, a, there's an issue there. It's like, you know, we don't really wear four sets of pants or when we go out places, you know, but I just love them all, you know, even my old ones. No, no, you've got to take off the old ones. The description that's written in here is, is actually written, it refers to clothing. It actually, there's like, a, there's a couple different translations of, of, of Ephesians 4.24. Here's a couple of them. Clothe yourselves with your new self. Be that new person who was made to be like God. Put off the old man. This is the most traditional. Put off the old man and put on the new man. It sounds like an ad for like an old spice or something. <laughs> put on the new man. But you have this sense that the old stuff simply won't cut it. And covering up the old stuff with new stuff makes no sense. So the old stuff has to go away. If you want to live in a hopeful anticipation of the new thing that God is doing it will require us to let go of the old stuff. We will want to hang on to it. But we will not be able to if we're holding on. We'll not be able to embrace this new thing. We will not be able to hold on to the old stuff. And that is terrifying for us. We like the idea of a stream. We like the idea of all this kind of stuff. But there is something about us that resists letting go. Even when the prospect of new things is so good. For me. I'll just tell you, there's a part of me that misses the stream in the wilderness. I don't see it often. I'm looking for something bigger. Oftentimes, I walk around in the wasteland trying to take control of stuff. Some of us are control people. And by some of us, I mean all of us. <laughs> we like things the way we want. We want to contain them and manage them. We want to manage our relationships. We want to put everything together the way it's supposed to be. And, and we want to take control of those things. And I find myself more often than not, maybe this is you processing the issues of my own life that feel sort of wastelandy, deserty in my life in other people. Most often, most painfully, I'm processing those broken things in me in my own kids. And they're looking at me like, I don't think this is my issue, Dad. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm taking control. What is it for you that causes you to miss this new thing that God is doing? For me, that's how I hold on to the old stuff. It's how I miss the new thing that God's doing. 
the way in which the Apostle Paul writes in this letter to the Ephesians, the way he writes, and this is throughout the New Testament, the way that people write, about how it looks like to live in this new kind of life. He writes it this way. Walk in the way of love. This is Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in the way of love. That's how it starts. The word walk and the word live in the New Testament are synonymous. They're used interchangeably. Other translations will say live in the way of love or live according to the way of love. Walk and live are used synonymous. They're used interchangeably. And it, it, the reason why is this. When we talk about this, this anticipation, this hopeful anticipation of things that have not yet happened, it's not just a theoretical concept. It's not just that that's a wonderful, like we should just think about those. It is something different. When we're talking about this hopeful anticipation, we're talking about something that actually impacts the way that we live, or more accurately, the way that we actually do stuff, the way we walk. We live in an eager anticipation of what God's going to do, a way through the wilderness, a stream in the desert, and we walk in the way of love. Just, and here's the model for how that love looks, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, the way in which we get to live in the fullness of what God sustains us in. The way in which we get to understand most clearly the soul-restoring stream that God wants to give us, that new thing, is when we walk in the way of love, in the method or the model that Jesus gave us. Sacrificial, whole, beautiful love. For some of us, I know coming out of this the past couple of days of being at, you know, all of the holiday stuff between New Year's and Christmas and all that stuff, you were like, look, I gave my love and it's gone now. I gave it all. I loved all the people that are my family and I got none left. I get it. I get it. Some of you may actually have to go revisit some conversations you had with people that you're supposed to love and sort of remind them that you really do love them. (laughs) Some of us are looking forward to the next year and we're going, my gosh, I don't know if I can love all these people. I don't know if I can do it. And God is saying, I will give you what you need to do that. Maybe God's calling you to restore a relationship that's been broken. Maybe there's something God wants to do in your life that looks like love, that looks so scary. That's the new thing he wants to do. But as we look forward, in sort of considering the essence of this new life, there's two things we have to, we have to kind of consider, these things right here. They're on your outline. What is it when you look at this next year where you're going to have to accept or choose a joyful freedom from there are some things that have happened in your life that, that have been around. They're old clothes that you've been wearing. They're old habits. They're old desires. They're old practices. They're old addictions that you go, I'm joyfully breaking from those things. They're not, being, they're not being taken from me out of guilt or shame. I am surrendering those things and I joyfully have freedom from them. What are those things? Of all the things that you're looking at in this year, what are the things you go, I'm going to joyfully experience some liberty from those things? Then you have to ask this question. What is it that I can live in grateful anticipation of in this next year? There are great things that God wants to do in your life and through your life. And God has given you a stream in the desert to take you there. What is it that you can already say, God, I'm grateful that you're going to do some stuff. And see what God does. Not simply afraid of what comes in the next year, but going, God, I know that there's going to be some wastelands. I know there's going to be some desert, but you will give me a stream, a water for a thirsty soul, and I will find my way in it because you will give it to me. I can be grateful already for that. What is it that you need joyful freedom from? And what is it that you can, what is it that you can live in grateful anticipation of in 2015? Let's pray together. Jesus, as we all kind of connect with the notion 
and being thirsty. We live lives that are demanding. People wrong us and hurt us, and the wastelands seem to be continually multiplying. Father, we need that stream. We maybe have been looking for a river, maybe we've been looking for some kind of fireworks, maybe looking, but we need a stream. Father, might you fill us, your parched people, with refreshment. Show us the way. Father, there are things that we need to let go of in this room that we can joyfully say. Those things no longer have control over us. And there are things, Father, that we can be grateful in advance for what you're going to do. Things we can't even see, things we don't even know that are going to be so good. Some of you sitting here may need to come forward and pray with some folks. You are thirsty to the point of exhaustion. We have some folks that would love to pray with you up in front. Others of you may need to write a prayer down and place it in the prayer wall that people might pray for you during this week. But this is our time to respond. So Father, as you hear our prayers set to music as we sing them to you, might you restore us and might we, different than the animals, give you credit for the work that you do in sustaining us through the wasteland. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Stand together. Jeff mentioned uh, some of you will need to come forward to pray with someone or write a prayer down. Feel free to do that as we continue singing and worshiping. Dip your heart in the streams 